We are wrapping up our Family Month series. How many of you have enjoyed this series this month, right? It's been an incredible, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We've, uh, not only have we given away things, as I mentioned before, but we've been diving deep into uh, the relationships that we have with the people that we love and care about the most. And, and, and a lot of what we've been talking about requires you to, to uh, Put your, put your money where your mouth is or put it into, put it into play, right? And he's, it requires us to kind of do uh, what we want to do and so that we can see the change and the impact in our families. And so uh, uh, as we've been talking about f- having healthy families, today our final message is titled, Practice Makes Permanent. Practice Makes Permanent. Now we've all heard practice makes perfect, which is an absolute lie. Right? It's a lie. Don't believe it. It doesn't. There's nobody perfect. Nobody does it all, all the time, right all of the time. But if we do things enough, right, and we make it a part of, of who we are, we continue to apply it to our daily life, whatever it is, it'll eventually become a routine. It'll, it'll eventually be car- become a part of who we are and how we live our lives. Does that make sense? Right? And so it, whether if you, if, you, if you started drinking coffee and you drink coffee every single day, it eventually becomes like you wake up and the first thing you want to do is, where's my coffee? It becomes a part of you. It becomes a way of life. And so practice makes permanent. We're going to dive right into that this morning. But let me start off with a question real quick. Can you remember a time, for those of you who are parents here, remember a time when your kids started acting the fool? Started acting up and you're, they're standing right next to you and, and you give them that look? Like, what are you doing? Like, seriously? Are you acting up in front of all of these people? Like, my mom would take me shopping, and, and, and she would hold me by one hand, and, and I start, like, doing stuff. I, like, walking down the aisle, I start smacking all the toys. And she would do the death grip on me. Like, squeeze it. I'm like, why? Like, I wasn't doing anything. And so mom was looking like, did I not raise you better? Did I not teach you differently? Like, you got to tell me the truth. Like, and I'm looking at her, and she's like squeezing harder till eventually she gets the answer that she wants. But deep down inside, our kids are like, no, this is what we are. This is what I always do, Mom. Ain't nothing different. This is how I always behave, right? And there are, these are these moments. When these moments happen to us, right, we realize that there is a gap, a gap between our expectations as parents of our family and our kids' experience of our family. Right? We, we, when we look at them, we like, we want our kids to be here, but our kids are actually here. And there's a gap in between. We think, man, what I wanted us to be and thought we were is not how we actually are. Anybody could, could attest to that? Right? Yeah. Often our response is, man, I don't get it. We talked about our dreams. We, we brainstormed about our values, right? We, we wrote a mission statement and we set goals. This is who we want to be. This is what we want to be recognized for. How could you forget? I mean, I even framed it on the wall, right? It's in the living room. It says, live, laugh, and love. Anybody got that frame? Hey, dude. And if you, if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying in church. Tell the truth, right? And they look at you and they start to laugh and smirk. And you realize they're not laughing with you. They're laughing at you. This brings up some really 
important questions for those of us who have the best intentions for our families. I think we all have the best intentions for our families. We all want our families to, to follow a plan, a plan that is, that is, that is, that is right. <laughs> Sorry, that costume threw me off. I love it. I love it. You got to love Listen, if you can't leave me here today and say, man, this church is different. I love this church. I don't know where you're at, right? So this brings up some important questions for us, right, as parents, because we all have the best intentions for our kids, right, for our families. Why do the good things I want for my family never seem to stick? Why aren't we becoming the family that I want us to be? Why doesn't my family care or follow through on the core values that I thought that we had all agreed upon? This is something that parents have wrestled with forever, ever since they, were, they themselves were being parented. In fact, even back in the Bible times, they struggled with this. For example, in Joshua, right, in the Old Testament, we hear about Joshua, who is the leader of the Israelite people. He takes... He takes over after Moses, and he, has, he comes to this realization that his people, the Israelites, the family of God, right, the chosen family here, aren't living according to the values, aren't living according to what they, the, the values that they were established upon. And so, so he does this really incredible thing that we do as parents, right? He gathers everyone around the table and he has that dad speech. Or for some of us, the mom speech. Have you been there? Have you been brought to the table? And everyone, get, everybody come down. Come to the table. We need to have that family talk. And you come to that table and all of a sudden, dad lays the smack down. He tells you what is going on, what he's not liking, what we need to do differently, Right? And Joshua does this same exact thing. In Joshua 24, verse 14, he says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away, uh, away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Verse 15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors uh, served beyond Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And as it turns out, Joshua's was really good at this dad speech stuff. He was really, really good. Right? He, he, he had a vision. He, had, he got them inspired. And they all lined up like little ducklings. Yes, yes. We're going we're gonna, to, we believe in this. Right? And they responded this way in verse 16. Right? We would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our own eyes, and we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, and he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. And I can see them now. Yes, yes, yes. Right? They're, they're all in it. They're all in agreement. They see the vision. They understand it. Right? Everyone is super excited. 
They're probably going to be the greatest family ever and live happily ever after until they're not, until something happens, until something changes. So what happened? What happened? What, what kind of turned it around? Judges chapter 2, verses 8 and 11 says, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Praise the Lord. 110. I don't know if I got enough in my tank for that. But he did. 110. They buried him in the land that he had been allocated, Right? Verse 10, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. Uh Uh-oh. So this is what happened. Joshua died. And when he died, everything that he believed in, everything that he set in place died along with him. The generation after Joshua died had some issues. In fact, two stand out for me. Number one, they had a belief problem. And number two, they had a behavior problem. A belief problem and a behavior problem. Remember that the time your kids stopped believing in the system that you set in place? The rules and regulations at home? And all of a sudden, the behavior problems started to rise up. And this is the same exact thing. They lost sight of and stopped doing what was most valuable to them. They lost sight of it. Joshua wasn't there. He wasn't there to tell them, hey, you need to keep doing this. You need to keep following what I said in motion. Because the moment you stop following, the moment you stop doing, the moment you get out of, the moment you get out of practice, you're no longer going to be on track. This generation after Joshua had these issues, isn't this the same tension that we run into with our own kids? We suddenly realize that they don't believe the things that we thought that they believe. They don't behave like we think that they should behave. And so there's this gap. There's this gap between the family that we thought we were raising and the one that we actually have. Hmm. As a parent, that, that kind of makes you think, right? You start, Anna, I know you're in your chair right now going, Billy, Jason, Maria. Like, you're trying to track what happened. Where did, where did it go? Where did, they, where did they stop? When did they stop? Why did they stop? And I think in the Joshua story, it's because the Israelites got away from the habits that they were reinforcing the kind of family that they were building. They stopped doing, following and practicing the habits that were leading them to having the family that they wanted. Deuteronomy 6, 
Verse 4 says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Verse 7, repeat them again and again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Imagine that. If all our kids wore those things on their foreheads. It'd be like playing that game, right? What's that game called? Anybody? Heads up. See, the man that has three kids, boys. Here we go, right? <laughs> Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, keep it in front of them. This, in the Jewish cult- culture, was called the Shema. The Shema. It's the practice of repeating and reminding yourself of who God is, who God made you to be, and what God has called you to do on a consistent basis. Imagine that, living in a home or living in a community where you practice rituals, uh, routines, and rhythms, right, that that kind of uh, allowed you to be reminded of who you are in God who you are in Christ, what he created you to be. And so it was hard for these people to escape this belief system because it was written and posted and shared everywhere. Every corner you turned, somebody was was speaking about it. Every conversation, somebody was talking about who God was and who he created you to be and your purpose in life. It was written down somewhere. Imagine if the Church of God, right, the capital C Church of God, decided one day to post on every social media platform there is that God loves you. Could you imagine the impact that would have on this world if people everywhere, they couldn't couldn't escape it. No matter where they turn, no matter what platform they use, somewhere someone was saying, man, God loves you so much. Imagine the impact that would have. But here's the truth we face today, church. We all know that just talking about something isn't enough. It isn't enough. Our values have to move beyond what we say into what we do. Right? From what we say, because we all talk a good game. We all talk a good game. But what if we decided, man, I need to back up my talk with my actions. I need to live this way, not just talk about it. I need to live it, right? It has to be actionable. You see, visions and values are just nice ideas unless you design disciplines around them that empower us to embody them. In other words, until you try to create your environment around a way of doing things, practices that will position you better to be a doer, It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle of putting that into play. And so these people, these Israelites had done that. They had loads of rituals. There's feasts and offerings, sacred dates, seasons of fasting, collective prayer. This was all happening while Joshua and Moses, I mean, while Joshua was in charge. And they'd enabled them to live out the way that they purposed, the way they wanted, the way they saw a better future for them. Every day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. This is how they lived. Did they always like to do it? Probably not. There were a few rebels 
in that group. But they did them, they did them anyway. Because they understood that if they continued to do these practices on a regular basis, it would instill long-term effects. It will play out for their benefit later. Some of us are playing for the game right now, and we fail to see that there is a future ahead of us for our kids and our kids' kids. Listen, if your beliefs aren't regularly reflected in your behavior, you won't believe them for long. If it's not something that you do as a family, as a unit, it won't, it, won't, it won't continue to move forward. And that's what's happened in many generations with our families. They had these priorities, they had these goals, and there was one generation that stopped practicing it. And so the next generation didn't have it. They didn't have a vision, they didn't have the goals or the values. In other words, I believe I'm an athlete, right? This is just an example. I want you to look at me and start judging me. I believe that I'm an athlete, not just because I tell myself that I'm an athlete, but because I see myself doing athletic things, right? Not only do I see myself doing athletic things, I'm actually doing athletic things. Thus, it leads me to be called an athlete. See how that works? And I think over time, these people abandoned their rituals. Their belief system eroded, and they became something Joshua wouldn't recognize. They didn't set out to do this. It just happened. It just happened. In all probability, it happened in the same way that it happens to you and I. We, we fall out of practice. We stop doing the things that were benefiting us. And so we fall out of practice. We begin to think, man, we don't need to ride it everywhere. We don't need to talk about it that much. In fact, we don't even need to go there or do that thing every week. Which eventually, before you know it, you're barely riding anything anywhere. We never talk about it and we seldom go there or do that. And that's what happened to the church today. A lot of people during COVID stopped going to church. They stopped the practice. And they said, oh, it'll be okay. I can stay home. And one day, one Sunday led to two Sundays. Two Sundays led to a month. A month led to a half a year. Half a year have led to a year. And they're still trying to figure things out in life. At home. Because they got out of practice. You see, church, over time, the vision and the values were so, that were so central to who they wanted to be ended up turning into nothing more than someone else's irrelevant traditions that we have no connection to or interested in. I bump into people all the time that didn't mean to stop going to church. They just got out of habit. And truth be told, being out of practice changes our priorities. You want to know why God is not important to people anymore? Because they got out of habit. They stopped practicing what was important to them. They stopped worshiping. They stopped going to church. Some people stopped tithing. Some people stopped serving. Some people, they, they got out of practice. 
And so it's no longer a priority to them. And so the problem people are having now is that the benefits, the good stuff that came out of being a part of something or being part of, of this uh, practice and follow through with your priorities are no longer available. They can't see it. They can't see the fruits and the benefits of it. They wonder, man, where, why did my kids, how did my kids be, got, how did my kids get so self-centered? How come our family isn't as kind or as generous as it used, as it used to be? Why don't I think about God as often as I, or, or I trust him as much as I used to? Because you got out of practice. And when you get out of practice, it's no longer a priority for you. Ouch or amen, but that's the reality of it. There's an ancient proverb that says, train up your child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Training is about practices, schedules, and rituals. That imagery was chosen intentionally. We're told to train. In other words, don't just tell them. Don't just try to every so often. Don't just believe in them. Don't just hope and pray, but train. Schedule it. Practice it. Ritualize it. Make it a part of your everyday routine. This passage of Scripture is telling parents, show them what you want to see from them. Could you imagine that? God is instructing, say, hey, show them what you want to see out of them. (laughs) I remember... As a kid, my mom would say, do as I say, not as I do. Do as I say, not as I do. In other words, we need to show them how to do it. They need to see it with their own eyes that they, the the people that they love and care about are following the same instructions. Philippians 4, 9 says, people... Putting into practice, keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you uh, heard from me and saw me doing. Friends, the best way to teach and train up a family is not by harshly punishing them or lecturing them or instilling fear in them, but to cast vision, to encourage them, to instruct them, right, and practice healthy habits alongside of them again and again and again. You want your kids to pray? Then start praying with them. You want your kids to come to church? Then you start going to church, right? We, they have to see us modeling this. Your values are the things that you do more than the things that you say. I'm going to wrap this up, but I want you to I want to sit on that for a second, right? Your values are the things that you do more than the things that you say. When you analyze your life, when you look at your life, are you talking more than doing? When it comes to the values And the vision that you have for your family, are you talking more than you're doing? Because if that's the case, we need to turn that around. We need to do more and talk less.
The best way to embody your values is to create rhythms, routines, and rituals that reinforce them. It's what Moses and Joshua's generation did. And honestly, keeping it in, in, in kind of the theme of this month, it's what champions do. It's what championships, championship teams do. It's not just enough to want to win. It's not enough to say that you're going to win. You have to regularly practice the skills that it takes to win. You have to train. You have to develop. People often ask me when I tell them, where's, where's, where's my youngest daughter? And I say, oh, she's, she's practicing. How many times does she practice? Oh, about five, six days a week. Seven if we count games. Well, that's a lot. Yeah, probably. But there are goals that we want to accomplish. There are visions and dreams that she has. And they won't come to fruition if we're doing something different. So we have to practice. There's schedules that have to attain. Yesterday we were in the gym for two hours here. Two hours working on some things. And I, as a parent, want to support her dreams and her visions. And I'm going to continue to do that. The same way I, I take my devotion out and we read it every morning before we go to work. The same way we pray at night. It's part of who we are. It's what we do as a family. It's not we're better than anyone else. No, it's that we have visions and values that we want to keep up with. And the moment we fall off track, it's because we didn't practice it. We didn't put it into play. Does that make sense? So when it comes to your family, do you make values-based decisions for your family and explain the reasoning to them? Is what you say you value present in your weekly schedule? Does everybody know where, uh, what you are all doing together? Is everybody running in the same direction and why? I heard it said that you get what you inspect, not what you expect. You get what you inspect, not what you expect. Meaning that you can't just voice something to someone one time and walk away and expect for it to play out that way. You constantly got to check in. You got to bring in reminders. You got to re-clarify what the vision is, what the goal is. You see, our priorities are revealed by our scheduled practices more than our stated, our stated passions. What are we scheduling for our families? What are the patterns that we have put into place for our families so that the core values of what you believe in will flourish, not just for you, but for your children and your children's children. Because see, we may be thinking about us right now and maybe our immediate family, but what you're doing today will impact your children's children and their children's children. You see? And the legacy will, will continue to play itself out by the patterns that you have chosen to put into place today as a family. 
So ask yourself, is the schedule, is the schedule we keep likely to produce the traits and the values that we want to see in our family? And if not, rearrange it. Do something different. Because your kids want better, need better. And your kids' kids need better. Amen?